Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I am presenting a series of programs on the subject of the elementary teachings of Christ Jesus as described in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. And in the previous broadcast I was talking about the subject of laying on of hands the fundamental teachings or doctrines concerning the laying on of hands. And I was explaining in the previous broadcast that the normal approach that people take concerning this subject, as well as other subjects relevant to the fundamental doctrines that we should be teaching people about when it comes to growing in their faith, what what we normally do, what people normally do, is they go into the scriptures and collect all of the scripture passages that are relevant to that particular subject. And then we try to process those scripture passages and see where we can find some consistency concerning those scripture passages and then extract our conclusions, our doctrines, from the collection of scriptures that we identified. But what happens is, is that when we do that, we find that there are some discrepancies. Not to say that there are some contradictions, but only to say that there are generally some discrepancies, some inconsistencies that we have to try to find some way to reconcile. For example, when it comes to the laying on of hands, some people received authority from the Lord through the process of one person laying their hands on another, but this did not always happen. There were other cases when people received authority from the Lord without the laying on of hands. So this is an inconsistency or a potential contradiction concerning our doctrines, and so we either become very dogmatic concerning what we believe, or we may lighten up a little bit and just say, well, sometimes it happens this way, sometimes it happens another way, and we just cannot give a conclusive conclusion. We cannot give an absolute conclusion concerning this. However, this attempt to try to reconcile the differences is very similar to what the Pharisees did before the time of Jesus. And I was explaining this in the previous broadcast, that the way the Pharisees were approaching their lifestyle, they were approaching their beliefs, they were attempting, just before the time of the Lord, to try to reconcile the differences of the people who had been before them, who wrote before them, and their writings did have some differences, some inconsistencies from the perspective of the people at that time, at the time just before the ministry of the Lord Jesus. So we are doing the same thing today. Back then, they did this. We are doing the same thing today. They took the writings of the Sophers and they tried to reconcile them, and they came up with what is called the Talmud. We in Christianity have been trying to reconcile the differences, the potential inconsistencies in the New Testament from the New Testament writers and have been codifying those conclusions in doctrinal statements or in commentaries. That is what we are doing, which is the same thing that the Pharisees had done back then. And I was explaining this in the previous broadcast. 
Now, for me to explain my position on the laying on of hands and what I think is the most important concerning it, I'm going to have to talk about something else just for a moment, or it's going to appear that I'm talking about something else, but you'll see where I'm going probably very quickly. When it comes to the subject of the laying on of hands, I do believe that there is a doctrine, a teaching concerning the laying on of hands, and I do believe that these issues that have been raised that I explained in the previous program and that other people bring up, I do think that those are very important issues and do fit in the category of the laying on of hands. However, I believe that there is something else that has been, as far as I can tell, just about totally neglected concerning the subject of the laying on of hands, which I believe is the real purpose, the real meaning behind this teaching. And so that's what I'm going to talk about in this program. Now, if you were to take a look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, you may notice that there's nothing really in here about the subject of forgiveness. Let me read verse 1 and 2, and keep that in mind as I read through this. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Where is the subject of forgiveness? Well, it could fit in at the end of verse 2, where he says eternal judgment. That is a place that it could fit in, because I do believe that the reason why we will not experience eternal judgment as believers is because of the forgiveness that we have received, and so that is a place where that could possibly fit in. I don't think that that is the real importance of eternal judgment, that this is not just about trying to avoid eternal judgment, but instead to recognize that this is about the nature of our God and the fact that he will have to execute eternal judgment. And the eternal judgment will be a final judgment where people are either going to heaven or going to hell, and that will be defined on the basis of not only forgiveness, but also on the restoration of the Holy Spirit and salvation. And so, while forgiveness can be found in there, I don't believe that this is the emphasis of eternal judgment. Both the saved and the lost are going to be judged, and those who are going to have a place in the kingdom of heaven are those who have been resurrected, those who have been made spiritually alive. Another possibility is found in verse 1, where the writer speaks of a foundation of repentance from dead works. That could be a place where forgiveness can be found. It is possible to find it in there, in the sense that repentance has to do with turning away from sin. However, when he says dead works, I don't think that that was his intent. I don't think that forgiveness was his intent. I think that he was talking about repenting or turning away from the works of righteousness that the people believed, the Hebrews believed that they were performing, and yet they certainly were not the works of God, and they certainly were not going to be in the favor of the people as far as God was concerned. The Lord is not going to be impressed by anyone's good works, and so we have to repent from those works that we think are good, but in reality are dead works. They're certainly not living works. Living works are performed by the only one who is truly living, who is the living God, who lives within and through his people. So that's a different subject. I don't think forgiveness is really found here. So where is it? I mean, wouldn't you think that if the writer was going to talk about the elementary teachings about the Christ, 
about the Lord Jesus, that one of those things would be the forgiveness that he has provided for all of us as a result of what he did on the cross? Wouldn't you think that that is a fundamental elementary teaching? And you might think something like, well, of course it is. It's so fundamental, it's so elementary, that the writer should not have even had to record it. It should have been assumed. That's one way of looking at it, and I can I can go with that. I can understand that. However, there are some other things that he said here that makes me think that that may not necessarily be the case. For example, where he says, faith towards God. I mean, I would think that that would be fundamental as well, maybe even more fundamental than forgiveness. And so if we take it from that perspective, I think that the idea of having faith towards God might be evidence to show that forgiveness was definitely intentionally neglected. I do not think that it was intentionally neglected. And the reason why is because I see it right here in the laying on of hands, just before he says the resurrection and eternal judgment. Forgiveness resurrection, eternal judgment. I see it right there, right after baptism, where we have the instruction about washings, which is about the conversion of a Gentile to Judaism, the reconciliation of the Jew with the Gentile, the bringing together of the two, so that there is no Jew or Gentile, but there is now the one person, the new creation in Christ Jesus. And this is possible because of the forgiveness of sins, as described in the laying on of hands, which I'll explain in a minute, and the resurrection of the dead through the resurrection of Christ Jesus and the restoration of the Holy Spirit, and that a final eternal judgment will be made by our God. These are the fundamental doctrines. These are the elementary teachings about the Messiah, about the Christ, about the Lord Jesus. So why would I see the subject of forgiveness in the laying on of hands? Why would that be my initial bias? Well, the reason why I see it that way is because of my understanding of the Day of Atonement, which in the Judaic culture is a very important day, and in the Law of Moses is a very important day. And the Day of Atonement was, of course, very well explained in the Law. For example, in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 21 and 22, there is a section concerning the Day of Atonement that has to do with the laying on of hands. In Leviticus chapter 16, verses 21 and 22, it is written, Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel, and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins, and he shall lay them on the head of the goat, and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness." The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. He's talking about all sins. Now, specifically, these are all of the sins that the people did not know that they had committed. For those sins that you did know that you committed, there are other laws that address those. But in this context, for the Day of Atonement, the Lord our God speaks of the Day of Atonement as the laying on of hands on a goat, on the scapegoat, who will receive the sins of the entire nation of Israel, that this is a transference, not a transference of authority, but a transference of sins. And we know that the Lord Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the commandments concerning the Day of Atonement, We know that while atonement was achieved through the laying on of hands upon the scapegoat, 
that atonement was achieved through the Lord Jesus, we have received propitiation, which is not atonement. And I did a series of programs on atonement and propitiation where I explained the difference between the two. And there's a very important difference. And so I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs. But the Lord Jesus provided us with propitiation, the fulfillment, the actual reality of the Messiah in our lives, which is the complete taking away of sins that was foreshadowed here in the Day of Atonement. The Lord Jesus is the reality for us. Moses proclaimed the law, which was a foreshadowing. It was a shadow of things to come, which are now realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is here that forgiveness is expressed. It is here that forgiveness is expressed in the context of atonement, that sins would eventually be taken away. Now, the sins were not really taken away by the goat. I mean, they were taken away in a figurative sense. But between the people and their God, the atonement actually codified the sins that they had committed, covered them over to the extent where they were preserved until the day when propitiation would be executed through what Christ Jesus was able to do on our behalf. And that was fulfilled at a future point. But here is the most important part in the scriptures concerning the subject of the laying on of hands, that it was about forgiveness. And so when I see the laying on of hands being expressed in Hebrews chapter 6 as being an elementary teaching about the Christ, I'm certainly not thinking of the scapegoat. And I'm certainly not thinking about Israel laying his hands on the sons of his son Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. And I'm not thinking about Moses and Joshua. I'm not thinking about these things. I understand their use, and I understand their presence, and I understand their application, the context of our foreshadowing of a reality. But the reality is what we have now in Christ Jesus. What we have in him, we have Forgiveness, all of that was pointing towards forgiveness. And so that is what I believe we need to embrace concerning the doctrine of the laying on of hands. Baptisms, forgiveness, resurrection, eternal judgment. It just fits perfectly. It fits perfectly. It has a perfect place right there in the context of the Day of Atonement. You know, a very interesting historical note, especially when it comes to the Day of Atonement, is that when when that scapegoat was released out into the wilderness, they tied a cord or a piece of cloth that was dyed red around the neck of the goat. And this had been done for centuries. Every year that the Day of Atonement was observed, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of the scapegoat and the goat would be released. The individual who was to stand in readiness to push the goat out into the wilderness, that individual observed the goat for a period of time. And eventually, what happened was that the scarlet cloth or the red cloth or the dyed cloth would eventually turn white. The observer would watch the goat until this happened, and then he would return to Jerusalem to notify the people that this miracle had occurred. This was something that happened every year for centuries. I don't know when it started, but I do know when it stopped. It stopped the same year that the Lord Jesus was crucified. That was when it stopped. The significance of that miracle was that the people looked at 
the cloth turning white as God's proclamation, their God, our God's proclamation, that their sins were officially atoned for, that it was recognized that atonement had taken place, that the Lord had considered all of their sins to be covered, and it was a very important announcement to the people. The historical reference for this is found in the Talmud in the text Yoma, Y-O-M-A, folio 39b, that is Yoma 39b, where it says, Forty years before the temple was destroyed, the chosen lot was not picked with the right hand, nor did the crimson stripe turn white, nor did the westernmost light burn, and the doors of the temple's holy place swung open by themselves until Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai spoke, saying, O most holy place, why have you become disturbed? I know full well that your destiny will be destruction, for the prophet Zechariah ben Ido has already spoken regarding you, saying, Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour the cedars. Quoting Zechariah chapter 11, verse 1. This is in Talmud Bavli, Yoma 39b. It's here that we have the historical recording of this miracle and the fact that the miracle no longer took place. I believe this is very significant because to me it was God's way of saying, our God's way of saying, that the Lord Jesus' crucifixion was now going to be the official fulfillment and replacement for the Day of Atonement in the context that sins have now finally been propitiated, that sins are no longer going to be atoned for, they're no longer going to be memorialized through atonement, but they are now going to be forgiven They are finally going to be forgiven and taken away through the act of propitiation, which is what the Lord Jesus accomplished on behalf of the entire world, not just on behalf of Israel, like the Day of Atonement was for, but now for the entire world, every sin, all sin in the entire history of humanity, past, present, and future, has finally been resolved. There is no sin that stands as a barrier between us and God, There never will be any sin that will ever be held against anyone except, of course, for the sin of unbelief in who the Messiah is, the sin of rejecting the Lord Jesus as a person's individual and personal Savior. That is the one sin that remains unforgiven. You know, I have had many discussions concerning this passage and concerning this miracle with many rabbis over the years, and it's been very interesting to have these conversations and these discussions, especially when it comes to this miracle. You would think that this would be something that people would look at and say, this is definitely clear evidence given by God that Jesus must be the Messiah. If it happened at the same time, you would think that that would be the case. You would think that this would be an indicator that the Lord our God will no longer acknowledge the scapegoat as the means of dealing with sin, but that the Lord Jesus is the only one who has provided for the forgiveness of sins. You would think that this would be plenty of evidence to show that, but there is a way to explain this away. The way that this is explained away, the way that this has been explained, if you can even find someone, you can find a Jewish person, or in many cases, if you can even find a rabbi who knows about this. It's very unusual to find one, by the way. If you do find one, then the traditional explanation that we have in the most orthodox of circles of study 
is to explain this by saying that the reason why the Lord no longer acknowledges the sacrifice that is performed on the Day of Atonement, the reason why and why he did not turn the cloth red was because of the sin of the people, that is the sin of believing that Jesus was the Messiah. It was because of that, because the people in Israel were becoming apostate, that the Lord expressed his displeasure, he expressed his disappointment, his disapproval of the people of the way who were beginning to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, he expressed his disapproval by no longer performing that miracle. And I, of course, see that as a ridiculous, an absolutely ridiculous explanation, because while there may have been a few thousand people who did acknowledge or start to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they certainly were not in the majority. And there were many others who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah and also did not believe in the God of Israel or observe the law of Moses in Israel. There were many Jews who did not believe in the living God as the Pharisees did more than there were who believed in the Lord Jesus. And so if there is going to be apostasy, if there is going to be someone who is going to be blamed for the apostasy, it's definitely not going to be for the Lord Jesus. It's going to be for all the Greeks. It's going to be for the Hellenistic Jews. It's going to be for all the people who rejected the living God there in Israel who were not a part of the temple sacrifices or services, who were not a part of Pharisaical Judaism, who were not a part of any faith whatsoever, that there were more than enough people available before the time of Jesus. And so to say that it was because of the people who believed in Jesus, to me, is really stretching it pretty far. I just, I find that to be really hard to believe. I would have to say that I definitely admire their faith in their own beliefs, not faith in God, but their faith in what they believe in, in order to believe something like that and hold to it and consider that to be a reasonable explanation. I think a better explanation is very simple, and that is that the Lord, our God, no longer sees atonement as a legitimate way of dealing with sin. You either receive the forgiveness that he has provided through the Lord Jesus, or you've got nothing, and you will never have anything. And I believe that this will be confirmed in the future. This will be confirmed very soon, when the temple is rebuilt, and the temple services are reenacted, and the Day of Atonement is observed once again with a high priest who will have to be selected, There will be a high priest in Israel again, and when that day comes, and the Day of Atonement comes, and they tie that red cloth around the goat, and they push that goat out into the wilderness, I do believe that the Lord our God will not turn that cloth white. That will not happen. And when that is acknowledged, when that is realized, the people may be able to explain that away by saying that more people in Israel need to follow the ways of Moses. But I believe that that will be further confirmation to show and prove and give evidence that Jesus is truly the only way. He is the Messiah. And there is no other way to deal with sin than what our God has already done on behalf of everyone. He has forgiven you of all of your sins so he can offer to you the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam. And you must receive that life. You must receive the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the life of God. His Spirit is His life, and that is the life that you need to be resurrected from among the dead. And now that He has dealt with all sin, the sin of humanity, there is no sin that will cause that life to depart from within you. Once you receive it as the free gift that He is offering, 
His life that will remain within you eternally. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And there is no other way for you to be saved. There is no other way for you to be reconciled to your God. There is no other way to have a place in the kingdom of heaven. There is no other way to know your God. Learn and understand these elementary teachings, these basic fundamental teachings, so that you can mature and grow in the relationship that your God has called you to. Forgiveness is truly the door that needs to be opened for an individual to grow and mature in their faith. I do believe that this is probably the biggest barrier that I have found in the lives of people, in the lives of believers in Christ Jesus, that they have a poor understanding of the forgiveness of God. I have done a series of programs on the subject of forgiveness that I would like to encourage you to listen to concerning this subject, where I talk about some of the barriers that people struggle with when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. You see, it's very unusual for a Christian to say that they do not really believe in the forgiveness of sins that has been provided by Christ Jesus. That's not really the problem. The problem is everything else that people believe. It's everything else that believers believe. It's everything else that preachers preach. It's everything else that people teach on top of that that negates it or contradicts it and leaves people in a situation or in a condition such that they are confused. They're just simply confused because they will believe one thing and then they'll believe another thing and together they contradict each other and so they don't really know what to believe. But what they do believe is that somehow they both have to make sense. People have made all kinds of attempts to try to reconcile these differences. But again, while you may be able to convince some people, there are lots of other people who are not going to be convinced just because they think a little bit more than others. And I'm not saying that people don't think. I'm just saying that some of us tend to struggle with these things a little bit more than other people do. I personally believe that there are many things that people teach and believe that are contradictory to each other and, of course, to the Scriptures. And so I would like to encourage you to look into this subject again, if you've not done so recently, and reconsider the importance of propitiation, reconsider the importance of the complete forgiveness of sins, and why all sins need to be forgiven, past, present, and future. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net